Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Lord God, you are faithful and just, righteous and holy. You have taken on our human flesh in order to serve us by saving us. We ask you to work through the words of today's sermon that we may understand that your glory is your grace and that even though we are reluctant and jars of clay, you use us to have and share the riches of your grace and salvation. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in our gospel lesson, Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, we heard especially a fruit of faith is repentance and that God expects that. And it's a comfort for us to hear how patient he is because... Well, we botch that all the time, and we all have family members that we're constantly working on. They seem to be straying away from church, and we want to see them come back to the Word of God and make use of the means of grace. But the example of that tree that he uses, if you think about it, somebody planted that tree at some point in time. And God has planted you in your unique circumstances, in the time and the location in which we live, for you to bear the fruits that he has built into your new man. Now, God had planted an entire nation. He promised Abraham that the Savior would be his descendant and that the descendants would own all that area of Canaan and Moab and all of that. And Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had two sons. That promise went on to Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. And when you read like Judah, the one through whom the Savior will come, Judah goes after a Canaanite prostitute. She becomes one of the great, 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 etc. grandmothers in Jesus' lineage. God recognizes they are being overwhelmed by that culture. And it's a culture of perversity and extreme idolatry. So he uses their hatred for the one brother, Joseph, to plant them down in Egypt. And boy, do they grow. They grow from those 12 sons to being millions. The Egyptians, 350 to 450 years later, they forget how God had prospered Egypt through Joseph. And what they see is this nation growing up So in them. And they're afraid they're going to be overtaken. So they enslave them. They're pretty cruel taskmasters. But they keep populating, as we say in Wyoming, like jackrabbits. So they practice the most extreme form of birth control you can. Kill every boy that's born. Now there's a woman, and God plants this particular person in these circumstances. She already has a daughter. She's 12 to 14 years old. Her name's Miriam. She has a son. His name is Aaron. She has this young baby boy, and and what mother could kill her child or let it be killed? So she plants Miriam in in, in besides the river, kind of hidden, and she puts the baby in basically a floating basket that she makes, and, and it's Pharaoh's daughter who's come to bathe in the river. And praise the Lord, she wasn't a monster like God builds into most women's hearts. She sees him, and she picks him up, and she says, Oh, a baby! And all of a sudden, this 12-year-old girl jumps up and says, Hey, you want me to get me a wet nurse, take care of this child? Happens to be Moses' mother. So Moses gets the name Moses, which is basically Egyptian for drawn from the river, and he's raised in Pharaoh's court. This means that he will become a member of Pharaoh's cabinet. And at this time in history, archaeologists have found, if you're adopted into Pharaoh's household, you are even in the running to sit on the throne of Pharaoh. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we can see God has planted Moses in the right place in the right time to lead those people out. He can do this from within the government itself. God is really preparing Moses to bear fruit. And guess what? He's going to get the best education of his time. He's even going to learn the functioning alphabet that's near them. 
They say about 150 to 200 years after the Canaanites get their alphabet that works, Moses will eventually write the five books of the Bible, and we know that language is Hebrew. But Moses botches it. One day, there's an Egyptian taskmaster is beating an Israelite slave, and Moses beats that Egyptian taskmaster to death. Moses is 40 years old. He took the matter in his own hands, and he, what he meant to do was the right thing, but he did the wrong thing. And at age 40, he has to beat feet out of Egypt. He ends up in Median. He ends up taking care of uh, his father-in-law's flocks. That's where our text begins, but we're going to see it through God commissioning Moses to now lead those people out after giving 40 years for, to correct Moses' mistake. We'll apply that to you and see God commissioned you to bear fruit. Our text for our sermon is Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, which you've already heard and I'll be bringing up throughout the sermon. So we start at verse 1. Now Moses was shepherding Jethro's flock, his father-in-law, priest of Medina in the west side of the wilderness, and he came to the mountain of God, namely to Horem. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you will later know this as Mount Sinai. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the middle of the bush. When Moses looked, pay close attention. The bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will go over and see this great phenomenon. Why isn't the bush burning up? After the Lord saw that Moses was turning aside to investigate, God then called out to Moses from the middle of the bush saying, Moses, Moses. Then Moses replied, here I am. Then God said, stop approaching this place. Take your sandals off your feet because the place that you are standing upon is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, who is it that's talking to Moses? Well, we're told the angel of the Lord. In Hebrew, the Malach Adonai. Now, a Malach Adonai can be a guy, like a prophet, that God sends out with the commission. But we know that's not the case here. Later, the Greek New Testament will use the word for a messenger, angelos. That's where we get our word angel. But this is not a spiritual angel, a spiritual being sent by God, as God sent, for example, Gabriel to tell Mary she'll give birth to that promised Savior. No, we're told right away this is God himself. He says, I am the God of your fathers. So why does God so often in the Old Testament refer to himself as the angel of the Lord? We get the answer real quickly and succinctly at the beginning of the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We find out that Word is Jesus. Jesus is the spokesman for the Trinity. God planted it in his New Testament. When God talks in the Old Testament, and, said, and we're told it's the Malach Adonai, the angel of the Lord, this is the pre-incarnate Christ talking. Recall that God the Father talks less than a handful of times, and that's all in the New Testament. So it's the pre-incarnate Christ calling Moses, I'm going to deliver you out. And it's amazing when he calls out Moses, Moses, whenever Jesus in the New Testament doubly refers to somebody's name, like when he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stoned the prophets, he's actually calling them to grace, calling them to repentance. So why a burning bush? Brothers and sisters in Christ, I've read a lot of ink that's been spilt about things that our text doesn't say about that burning bush. But I can tell you the one thing our text makes clear the reason why Jesus appears in a burning bush, to get Moses' attention. <laughs> Moses, all right, come on. 
Now that bush, it's burning, but it doesn't get burned up. And as a side note, in the early Christian church, when there were battles over Christology, how can true God have become true man? One of the things they'd say is, well, God is infinite. And if he poured himself into what is finite, a human body, as if he's just possessing it like a puppet, he'd destroy it. And the early church fathers used this text. They said, look, he can appear in a bush that's burning without consuming the branches. So God, who is all powerful, can become man without destroying his divinity or his humanity. So far we see a lot of grace going on, but we want to remember in the Old Testament especially, God's holiness is often referred to as a consuming fire. We think of that as God's wrath against sin. When Isaiah the prophet is brought to heaven to get his commission to be a prophet and he stands before the throne of God, what does he say? Woe to me! I am ruined! For I am a man of unclean lips. And what does Moses do? Moses hides his face. Uh Uh-oh. God flat out tells him, take your sandals off your feet because the place you're standing upon is holy ground. At this time and still in the Mideast today, the idea is the, the dust and the dirt, the things that are on your feet, don't let them come off. And it's because it'll contaminate. It's holy ground because the pre-incarnate Christ is there. It's holy ground because Moses will beat the people there and it's there that God will tell them his holiness by giving them the moral law and he'll give them the civil law to govern them as a nation and the ceremonial law to tell them how to worship him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus went out of his way to appear to Moses and to show him his grace, to make his grace clearly seen. Moses, you're okay to stand before me. I'm a holy God, but I'm not going to destroy you. I'm calling you to do something. Now, you too have been called and you have clearly seen God's grace. You say, how is that? I haven't seen a burning bush. See, we're blessed because one of the things God's going to do, I already gave you a hint of that. God's going to use Moses to write the first five books of the Old Testament. Moses, Inc., will talk about the promise God gave to Adam and Eve about the seed of the woman that will crush the serpent's head, pointing to the virgin birth. You and I live in the time when the Bible has been completed. So we, God doesn't have to appear to us in a burning bush anymore. He appears to us through His Word when we read it, when we study it, when we are taught it, when it's proclaimed to us. But He's also come to you through something you could see. When you were baptized, He sealed His Holy Spirit into your heart And the consuming fire of the Lord will not consume you because the blood of the Lamb was connected to you like a pipeline. It comes to you every day. And he's brought his, in a miraculous way that defies our understanding, he's connected his body and blood with the bread and wine we take when we partake of the Lord's Supper, and he nourishes you. So God commissioned you to bear fruit just as he did Moses by making his grace clearly visible. He made it clearly visible to Moses and he's made it clearly visible to you. And here you are today enjoying it on another Sunday, receiving that clear visibility of his grace. Verse 7, we're told, Then the Lord said, I have certainly seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard the outcry caused by Israel's taskmasters. Indeed, I have known. And the interesting thing is the word he uses for know there is through experience. It's, It's knowledge gained through experience. I've known Israel's pains. Therefore, I've come down to deliver Israel from the land of Egypt and bring Israel from the land to a good and broad land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, namely the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. This is the land promised to Abraham. This is the land they will take over. This is the land that under King David, when the nation's at its largest, this is how much it will encompass. 
Now pay close attention, he says in verse 9. The outcry of the sons of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. And here comes the point of today's text, verse 10. Now get going. I'm sending you to Pharaoh so that you are to bring my people, namely the sons of Israel, from Egypt. God has just given him a specific fruit to bear, commissioned him. I'm leading the people out, but I'm going to do that through you. Now you may be saying that's great that God showed up to Moses and gave him a commission. And Pastor Sherman, we called you. So you don't have a direct call from God, but you have a call from us, a congregation, to serve us as pastor. But I don't have a commission from God. Ah, but you're so wrong. The clearest commission God has given you is recorded in Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse 19. He wasn't just talking to the 11 apostles present that day. There were more than 500 people present there that day when Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and by teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And he'll say, And surely I'm with you always. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God has given you faith. And whether you realize it or not, that faith shines through. It bears fruit. And sometimes the commission God has given us with our unbelieving neighbor, our family members, is simply that they see your trust in God. When I was a layman, even when I was single and not married, it often amazed me how co-workers would say, <clears throat> Fred, I know you're a Christian. My wife and I are fighting like cats and dogs. And I know God's word has a lot to say about marriage. What can you tell me about that? Suddenly, the fruits of my faith that had shown through, now God has opened up the door to speak. Well, it sounds like to begin with, we need to have a little talk about what God says about forgiveness. There needs to be forgiveness in your marriage. See... I've learned if I force it into the conversation, it goes amok. But when we're just simply living out our faith, letting the new man shine, God opens up the doors and he presents the opportunities. So we see God commissioned you to bear fruit by making his grace clearly visible and by clearly stating the commission. In fact, this is the meaning of life. When you're an unbeliever, God calls you to become a believer. When you're a believer, he calls you to stay a believer and to let your faith shine. But Moses had been in a pretty good position to lead those people out, and he botched it, didn't he? Verse 11, Then Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should then bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Lord, years ago, 40 years ago, Moses is 80 now, 40 years ago, if you'd have called me, I was in Pharaoh's cabinet, good deal. But I go to Egypt, now I'm wanted for murder. I'm not a great guy, Lord. I'm below this. I'm, I, I'm way below this. And you and I can feel like that. I'm not holy enough to proclaim the word of God. How does God respond? Verse 12. Because I am is accompanying you. And this is the sign for your benefit that I myself have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. Here in a minute, I'm going to get into the great I am. God gives Moses a promise. When it's all said and done, you're going to come back to this mountain and you and the Israelites will worship me. As I said, this is where they're going to get all the laws and make the deal that if they stay faithful to God, he'll keep them as a sovereign nation. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God has made a promise to you as well. And he's given you the faith to cling to it. God says, I am going to give you the new heavens and the new earth because I have saved you. And you will be in those with a glorified body. 
So what's the worst thing that our neighbors can do to us? Kill us? Big deal. You're eternally alive. So God's given you the faith to trust that no matter what happens, it's all going to work out for you. You're going to get to be before the throne of God. But now I'm accompanying you. I'm going to be with you. Just like Jesus promises you in your commission when he says, go and make disciples of all nations and by baptizing and by teaching them. And he says, and surely I am with you always. God says, I am accompanying you. Then Moses said to God, notice if I should go to the sons of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what's his name? Then what should I say to them? Remember, they're not being allowed by the Egyptians to have a day off. They're not being allowed to gather together and worship. This is one of the things Pharaoh won't let Moses do is gather the people and lead out, go out in the desert and worship. They live in an age where the Egyptians have a plethora of gods and we can forget every plague was a strike of at least one, if not more, uh, against their gods to show God was more powerful. The people who have not been allowed to worship God outwardly, publicly, may even be wondering, among this plethora of gods, how do I know that this God's powerful enough to do this? That would be false thinking. They don't have the scriptures yet. And if mom and dad didn't pass it on to them very well and the community's not doing it, They might be scratching their heads. And this is what gets into God's first answer to Moses when he says, because I am is accompanying you. God gives a beautiful sermon on his name. The Lord replied, I am who I am. This is from the Hebrew verb is. Literally translated this is, I continue being who I continue being. If God continues being, then nothing can stop him from continuing to be. All the other gods are false to begin with. They had beginnings, they had ends, and they never really existed other than people's imaginations. But if God continues being, no other God can stop him from doing that. And God truly needs nothing from us. It's not like if we stop giving offerings or praying to him, he's going to die. This name for the Lord that gets translated capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in many Old Testament translations, Yahweh, this is the name that says God is absolutely faithful. He exists in and of himself and nothing can stop him from keeping his promises. Faithfulness. He's true to his promises. This is the name with the covenant that he always ties with it to show Israel, they did break the deal over and over again, but God never did. And that's important for you because God has made that covenant with you that he has daily washed your sins away, that ultimately you are going to get the new heavens and the new earth, that he's ruling creation for you. And he made all that covenant with you when you were baptized. And he says, nothing's going to keep me from breaking my end of the deal. And so he says, you are to say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Then God said to Moses, you are to say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this name is my memorial from generation to generation. Notice not I was the God of Abraham. That would mean Abraham's dad. Isaac and Jacob. No, I am. They were still alive. Their bodies may have turned to dust and blown in the wind, but their souls were before the throne of God. God continues being. And he says, this is my name forever, and this name is my memorial from generation to generation. God is to be known for being faithful. He's faithful to his law, but he's faithful to taking on our human flesh and being our savior. He's faithful to his gospel. And let us not forget the commandment, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. See, this is the name, and this is the name we call upon to worship him, and we worship him because he is faithful. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, when Moses says, how can I do this? God's answer is, 
I promise you, I'm faithful, that's my name, and I'm accompanying you. And that's his promise to you as well. I promise you that I'm faithful, I will always uphold my end of the covenant I made with you at your baptism, and I'll always be with you. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, God has planted you just like he planted Moses. Sometimes we botch it. Been times when I had the golden opportunity to evangelize and I and I screwed it up. Sometimes God gave me a chance later with the same person to do it. Other times God sent somebody else. But God has commissioned you and I to bear fruit just as he did Moses. By making his grace clearly visible, he's given you his word and sacraments. By clearly stating the commission, I've given you faith, let it bear fruit, let it be seen. And by promising you his absolute faithfulness is always with you and he's going to remain faithful to you. Amen. Now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Amen.